Our Bible reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 1 through to 31. Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he was found there any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he may take them to prison in Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call by your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their king to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptised, and after taking some food, regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Is he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them of how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenic Jews but he tried to, who tried to kill him. 
When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. Nearly forgot that one. Well, good morning, church. My name is Marty. It's fantastic to be up here with you guys here again today uh, to share in the fellowship, to share in the Lord's Supper, uh, and also to share in singing praises to our God. Uh, Let's spend a moment in prayer before we come to uh, hear from God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please settle our hearts as we come to hear your word explained. I pray that you would grow us through this message, that you would draw us closer to you, God of the universe. Thank you for this record of Saul's conversion, where we see your awesome power at work and how Saul lived in response. And I pray this all in your mighty name. Amen. So it'd be great if you could keep your Bibles open. We're going to be flicking through Acts chapter 9 and maybe to a couple of other places too as we go through. So you might know Paul, uh, earlier called Saul, as one of the the main characters from the New Testament. But is it really important to know where he came from? Is it important to know how he came to be a follower of Jesus? You see, Saul is, in many ways, uh, the opposite of the character Darth Vader from the Star Wars movies. See, in the original trilogy from the 70s and the 80s, we saw Darth Vader as the bad guy. He was in this intimidating black suit and helmet, and he wielded this formidable weapon, and every time he was on screen, there was always this ominous music. It was very clear to the viewer that he was the bad guy. And throughout these movies, we got a bit of a hint at his troubled past. But was it really important in the context of those movies, to understand where Darth Vader had come from? Was it really important to understand how he became so bad? Well, that's when they came out with the prequel trilogy in the late 90s, early 2000s. And in those movies, we saw how Darth Vader started out as a good guy, how he started out as Anakin Skywalker. But because most people had already seen the original trilogy, His descent into the dark side, into a bad guy, it wasn't shocking. It wasn't shocking because we knew that it was coming. Well, I think the same thing applies for us when we read about Saul uh, and the Apostle Paul. Same person, I'm going to use them interchangeably a little bit. Uh, We read the early chapters of Acts. We get little snippets of Saul scattered throughout and they don't scare us because we know what's going to happen. We know what God's going to do. We know that he wrote a bunch of the Bible in the New Testament. We know how much he was on fire for Jesus. And so when we read, and when we read Acts chapter 9, we think, yep, that sounds about right. I knew it was going to happen all along. See, for us, this passage doesn't have the power that it did for those first Christians as they read it. And so for this morning, I want to ask you to temporarily forget uh, everything that you know about the Apostle Paul 
And just stay present with me in this story of Saul. Because I think this story raises and answers the question, when you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, what, what do you do? Is there some natural progression there? And we're going to look at this bit of Acts chapter 9 to see how becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of this way, affected this guy named Saul. And we'll see what he did as a result of that too. The big idea for this morning is that God's power turns a persecutor into a follower and a worker for God's kingdom. As God's power turns a persecutor into a follower and a worker for God's kingdom. And we'll unpack that in three points. The first will be Saul the persecutor, second Paul made follower, and the third will be Saul the worker. So, our first point for this morning is Saul the persecutor. We're going to get into the mind of Saul. We're going to get into his backgrounds and his motivations to figure out who is this persecutor. Now, we see a little bit of context in the first two verses of chapter 9. Read along with me. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We get a little bit of further background from Paul himself in Galatians 1, uh, 13 and 14, where he says, uh, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and how I tried to destroy it. Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You see, in his time, Saul, he was pretty privileged. Saul is, his father was a Pharisee, and at a young age, he trained with another famous Pharisee, a guy called Gamaliel. Uh, If you head back to Acts chapter 5, you'll see some of his wisdom. Saul learnt Greek, he learnt Hebrew, he learnt classical literature, he learnt classical philosophy and ethics. Uh, It's very likely that Saul memorised the entire Old Testament. That's a very good job there. Uh, And he's uh, already, at a young age, a part of the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish religious council. Saul is also a Roman citizen. Uh, That means he has an immense amount of freedom to travel around the Roman Empire. And so Saul, he's an up-and-comer. Saul is one of the ones to watch. And all of these things, that amounts to Saul being the perfect weapon against this early church. Because Saul is zealous. He said that in Galatians, and he is motivated by Scripture, and he wants to uphold God's way. Saul is also ruthless, Verse 2, you can see there, says that he was taking men and women back to Jerusalem as prisoners. See, there's no mercy from Saul. He's putting men and women into prisons. And it's nothing like our our nice and our clean and fairly well-monitored prisons. No, these are dirty and dangerous prisons. And not only that, he was willing to travel the 220 kilometers to Damascus on foot, to persecute the early church. 
And earlier in Acts chapter 8, we read that all of the apostles, uh, everyone except the apostles, is scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You see, Saul has run out of people to persecute in Jerusalem, and so he's now he's heading to Damascus. And you can also see that Saul is backed by the authorities. He's got the funding and he's got operational support that he needs to bring Christians back to Jerusalem to be put into these prisons where they'll eventually be put to death. You can see that the high priest is clearly, he's all for it, uh, as they give him letters uh, that they need to um, bring men... uh, Sorry, the high priest is clearly all for it, giving him the letters that he needs and some men to back him up. You see, Saul, as he is, is major bad news for the early church. Saul is the chosen instrument of the high priest to root out and destroy this new way. And Saul, he thinks he's working for God. Saul thinks he's upholding his laws and his decrees. But Saul is in for a very big shock because God knows all of these things. God knows all of the background and so God does this judo flip where he flips Saul into his own chosen instrument by making him a follower. So that's our second point for this morning, that Saul is made a follower. This is the power of God to make a follower. Now we see this playing out in this story with Saul and a follower called Ananias. We see this in verses 3 to 19. So first off, in this story, we have the physically real and the recently resurrected Lord Jesus coming and rebuking Saul. Now, Saul would be incredibly confused as this voice from heaven comes down and asks him in verse 4, says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul would be thinking, I thought I was working for God. And now there's this voice from God telling me that I've been persecuting him. Saul's thinking, what is going on? And you see that Saul is serious about figuring out what's going on. You can see that by the way that he spends three days praying and fasting. You can have a look at those in verses 9 and 11. Saul prays, Saul fasts, and God answers. And the answer to his prayers comes from one of the guys that he was coming to persecute. And this guy knows exactly who Saul is. This Ananias, uh, somewhat reluctantly, it must be said, uh, comes and he places his hand on Saul and tells him in verse 17, verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now, Saul sees with clarity that Jesus, the one that hung on the cross really not that long ago, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. And he's the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for. And so God has saved Saul to be his messenger. And there's great imagery in this section. There's great imagery from Saul intending to go to Damascus 
to drag believers helplessly back in chains to Jerusalem, to Saul himself being led into Damascus, helpless and blind. There's this imagery of Paul, uh, Saul wanting to lay hands on believers, to drag them away to Ananias, laying his hands on Saul to make him see and to give him the Holy Spirit. There's this image of Saul fasting for three days because he is so helplessly confused about what his purpose is anymore. To this image of scales falling from Saul's eyes as if there was some physical barrier stopping him from seeing. And it's an incredible story because God has turned the chief persecutor into a follower. This is as big, this is as big as Kim Jong-un becoming a human rights activist. And by the time that this was written, uh, Saul, then called Paul, uh, he was a celebrity in the local church, as it were. Everyone would have heard about him and his conversion. And yet, when Luke sits down to write this accord of what Jesus did and what the Holy Spirit did in the early church, notice that he doesn't water any of this down. He doesn't try to redact this story. There are celebrities these days that uh, they will do all that they can to have their hidden, uh, to have their shameful pasts hidden. I don't know if you know this, but uh, home improvement actor Tim Allen, uh, he will not talk about his arrest for possession of cocaine in 1978 uh, and how he testified against his friends to get out of jail time. If this is brought up in interviews, uh, he will not talk about it, he will shut down uh, and often he will just leave the room. If he could, Tim Allen would erase all memory of what had happened. But again, that's the opposite of what we see here in Acts chapter 9. Because Saul and Luke, they want everyone to know about Saul's shameful past. Because it points to the power of God to save. That kind of brings us to the question, knowing everything that we know about Saul, is there anyone too sinful for God to save? Is there anyone too sinful for God to save? And I hope that the answer is no. But just run with me for a second, because if anyone is too sinful to save, then surely it's Saul. Either directly or indirectly, he has killed God's followers. Saul has persecuted the church and he's gone out of his way to do it. He's gone out of Jerusalem all the way to Damascus. This is a total unbeliever. This is someone that is openly and violently hostile to the gospel message going out. And God has turned him into a follower. This is something that we should praise God for. And I wonder, do you think that the church in Damascus, that the followers in Damascus, that they were praying about Saul's visit? You can see that Ananias, uh, he had heard many reports about Saul. He knows exactly who he is. You can see that in verse 13. I reckon that church spent a bunch of time praying that God would do something about this threat. 
but they were not expecting this. Because God, in this ultimately powerful way, has turned this persecutor into a follower. See, Saul's conversion, this is an encouragement to pray. This is an encouragement that God would save the unbeliever. Because it raises the question, another good question, why don't we pray for Kim Jong-un? Why not? Is it because we think that God can't do something there? Is it because we think that God can't save all of that regime in North Korea? Have we stopped praying for our brothers and our sisters? Have we stopped praying for our mothers and our fathers? Have we stopped praying for our sons and our daughters that don't know Jesus? Why? I ask you, why? Is it because we think that God can't do something? God has saved Saul. God has saved a chief sinner. He can save your mother. He can save your brother and he can save your son. Because that is the power of God, to take an unbeliever and turn them into a follower. And that brings us to our final point for this morning. That's Saul the worker. Where we see what Saul did in response to being made a follower. You can see the early days of Saul's Christian journey playing out in verses 20 to 31. You see that God turned a zealous persecutor into a zealous worker. And Saul wastes no time in proclaiming the very thing that he'd been persecuting. Have a look at verse 20 with me. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that's amazing in and of itself, but what he once denied, what he once sought to eradicate, Saul now exclaims. And Saul doesn't do it just on the street corners. He doesn't even do it hidden away in someone's house. He does it in his former workplace, in the synagogues. Now, there are some that have their doubts about Saul, some that think that uh, he was just jumping on board this bandwagon so that uh, he may be a celebrity in Christianity. But what do you think Saul got out of being a Christian? What do you think he got out of it if he was faking it? Remember that this is a guy that's very well-educated. Saul had the right pedigree. He was an up-and-comer in Judaism. I reckon Saul was on the path to becoming the high priest. This is the most important position in Israel post-exile, and as high priest, he'd be powerful. As high priest, he'd be very wealthy, and it would be a very easy path in life. But Saul he seemingly threw all of that away. Saul incurred the wrath of the Jewish ruling council and he incurred the wrath of the Roman Empire for stirring up trouble by preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Because Saul's new job, because of what God had done, was to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. You see that in verse 15. As God speaks to Ananias, God says, 
Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And it's also worth pointing out that Saul was expected to suffer for Jesus. You see that in verse 16 as God continues, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So there's an expectation that it's going to be hard for Saul. Life for Saul isn't going to be a cakewalk anymore because God has called him to be a worker. But notice that Saul's not left out on a rock of suffering. Saul's not just called to be a follower and is expected to live through all of these uh, terrible things. No. Notice Jesus' words in verse 4 as Jesus is rebuking Saul. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? And have a look at verse 5 where Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. See, Jesus is saying that persecuting his people is the same as persecuting him. It's as if Jesus feels the persecution that his people are under, and he is experiencing it too. This fact is going to be a great comfort for Saul. It's a great comfort for Christians, but specifically for, Paul, uh, for Saul and the rest of his difficult life. And you can see some of that difficult life that he outlines in 2 Corinthians 11, where he goes through his list of trials. Now, it's important to notice uh, the order of Saul's conversion and of his work. Notice that, that Paul, uh, Saul is saved first, and then he starts to work for God's kingdom. Saul's not trying to earn his way into God's goods, good books like he was before. He's not trying to hunt down uh, what he thought were Israelites going against God. In essence, God, uh, Saul is hunting down people that don't believe in Jesus, and he's preaching to them, and he's working for God as a response for God saving him. Saul didn't rest on his laurels. When Saul was made a follower, he didn't just sit back and say, that's great, salvation sorted. No, Saul, he was up and out and into the world. He went out into the nations to proclaim the gospel. You see, Saul spells out his worker situation. He spells it out really clearly in Romans chapter 10. And you really see his pedigree coming out here in, as he quotes the Old Testament a bunch. Saul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Saul's quoting the prophets Joel and Isaiah to prove the point that there has to be someone to bring the good news to the nations. And he takes that responsibility on himself. And in chapter 12 of Romans, he moves that on to us as well. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
this is your true and proper worship. Because following God means working for God. It means offering our bodies as living sacrifices. It means using the gifts that He's given to us. That's the point of chapter 12 in Roman, of Romans. That's why we have this whole story of Saul's conversion in Acts. They're all to show that following God means serving God, means serving in His kingdom. And so that brings us back to our question from right back at the start. When you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, what do you do? Well, the answer is you work for His kingdom because of what He has done. Because through Saul, we have seen that God's power has turned a persecutor into a follower and a worker for His kingdom. Well, what does that mean for us? Saul, he didn't save himself. All of the work that he'd done before in Judaism, all of that was for nothing because he missed the living God who came down to earth to die for his people, paying for their sins once and for all. Salvation, the act of salvation belongs to our God. He is the one that saves. He is the one that brings people back from darkness and into light. That all raises another question. If God is powerful to save someone like Saul, if, someone's, uh, if God can do it like he did to Saul, well, then we don't have to do anything. That is wrong, I want to say. Just because God saved Saul like this on the road to Damascus doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything. You see, Saul heard the saving message of Jesus Christ. Saul had to have heard it, otherwise he wouldn't have opposed it so strongly. Because someone planted a seed. However long ago someone planted a seed, others watered that seed, and God finally gave the growth here on this road. You see, Saul's story is a massive encouragement to go out and to preach the good news about Jesus. Because if Saul didn't hear the word... How then could he call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? See, our God, he made a follower and he made a worker out of the vilest persecutor because someone prayed, because someone spoke to him. This wasn't instantaneous. God didn't give the growth directly after Saul heard it, but he did it in his own good time. It's also worth pointing out that Saul's job uh, was a bit specific to him. Saul was appointed to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his job. And ours is going to look a little bit different. But I want to say that the minimum requirement is from 1 Peter 3.15. Where Peter says, Always, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And do that with gentleness and respect. And so what, is a work, what does being a worker look like for you? Well, there's a couple of really practical ways that you can be a worker for God's kingdom. And that is to be on mission with Jesus and to serve in your local church. There are a bunch of really great ways that you can start to practically work for God's kingdom because of what he has done. 
There are lots of ministries that your local church has that you can be involved in in any way. What I want to do is encourage you, encourage you to go home and to pray about it. Pray about it and ask your spouse, ask your mum, ask your dad. Chat to someone that's serving, that's already involved in one of those ministries. Get on board and work for God's glory. There's an old saying, preach the gospel, use words if you have to. Which I think sounds great, uh, but in practice is just missing a little bit. Because how can they believe if they haven't heard? You see, our co-workers, they need to hear with their ears and see with their eyes about Jesus and how he works in our lives. You see, our mothers, our fathers and our kids, they need to see and they need to hear about Jesus. You know, we have this. We have this hope of eternal life. We have the message of good news and there are times when we just sit on it. Let's use, Paul, uh, let's use Saul as an example. Why did he share the gospel? Why did he use his words? See, he understood the eternal realities. He understood perfectly that he had been plucked from eternal damnation. Plucked from that to live for the certain hope of eternal life. Saul didn't share the gospel because it would make him look good. He didn't share it because it was the easiest road available to him. He shared it because it was right and it was good and it was true. And he shared it despite the risks. Because he knew the eternal realities of what is going on in this world. He knew that those that know Jesus are going to live with him in heaven. And those that don't will live in hell. That's the reality that Saul knew. And that's the reality and there's no watering it down. That's what's going to happen whether you believe it or not. And so, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, then please don't hold out on your friends. Don't hold out on your family. Don't hold out on your co-workers we have this treasure and for some reason we don't want to share it with the people that we love. Why is that? It's scary. We could face persecution. But Jesus, notice, Jesus suffers with us. And eternal life will be so much better than anything that can happen to us here on earth. And if we do end up suffering, if we do end up suffering for Jesus' name, then we know that the ruler, the creator of heavens and earth, the one that created all living things, he feels our pain. And we know that he underwent something even more terrible. He experienced separation from this perfect relationship that he had with the Father 
and the Spirit. And so if you haven't committed to Jesus as Lord, then I want you to hear this. Jesus is Lord. He made you, and He loves you, and He wants you to come back to Him. He is offering a relationship with you. He is the creator of the universe, and He offers that freely. And He wants relationship with you so much that He came down to earth to live a human life, fully God and fully man, and He died on that cross, and He paid for everything that you have ever done wrong. And He was raised in glory, proving that He was the Christ, that He was the Messiah, that He was the one that would save humanity from their sins. Because following the risen Lord Jesus means joining Him on His mission. Now, I want to leave uh, some space here uh, for you to pray in the quietness of your own mind. It doesn't have to be wordy. It doesn't have to be long. I just, I, I just encourage you to pray and to say sorry for all of the ways that you've uh, gone against God and pray and thank Him that He has forgiven you, that He has forgiven and taken all your sin up on that cross. And I encourage you to pray and Ask for the boldness to go and proclaim his name to the nations. And after a little bit of time has passed, I'll close in prayer. So, Lord God, we're sorry for all of the ways that we go against you. We're sorry for thinking that we know better than the creator of the universe. Please forgive us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and be raised again to once and for all pay for our sins. Father God, we pray for our brothers and our sisters. We pray for our mothers and our fathers, for our, for our sons and our daughters that don't know you as Lord. We pray that you would use us as your instruments to proclaim your love and your goodness. Make them your own by your mighty power, just like you did for Saul. Father, we pray for North Korea. We pray for China. We pray for all of the places that openly defy you and persecute your followers. Make them yours. Make them your followers and make them your children. Father, protect those that do know you and help them to proclaim the reason for the hope that they have and inspire us by their boldness and their gentleness and their love. And we pray the same for the whole of Tasmania. 
Make all of Tasmania yours. And may that be the start of a massive revival all throughout Australia, by your power and for your glory alone. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.